This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Today, we have the amazing Nicole Arts, who is a fellow LMFT. We love LMFTs, for the record. Um, She's a practicing psychotherapist in Southern California. She's worked with a wide variety of individuals, couples, and families in numerous settings. Her clinical emphasis lies in treating substance use, eating disorders, and complex trauma. She's also the founder of the hilarious and relatable Psychotherapy Memes Instagram page, which we also love, a community with more than 80,000 followers. Incredible. And in her free time, she's an author. All of that free time, you have her and a mom. Her debut book, Sometimes Therapy is Awkward, and yes, it is, is available wherever books are sold. Welcome, Nicole. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me on and thank you for that fabulous introduction. (laughs) I mean, one of the things people should know if they don't follow you is you were completely anonymous in your meme page until very, very recently. So how has that been for you? You know what? Um, I went back and forth for a while about like breaking anonymity within myself. Um, It's honestly gone so well everybody has been so supportive and just awesome like it's been great I I think I had some fears that there would be a lot of negative backlash because some people they take memes very literally (laughs) (laughs) right and like 
you know, they assume that it means that, like, if I'm making fun of our job, that it means I don't like my job. And I'm sure you ladies understand this, like, dark humor keeps us going. Yes. Go for our survival. And it, if anything, I think it taps into, like, our empathy and our care for this job. If we can't laugh at it, we're going to burn out. Right. So absolutely. And you know, we lose, we use so much humor in our therapy, um, and find it so helpful for our clients. I agree. And that's something that I've always used as a tool with my clients and I've seen it go well. And so people would ask me like, Oh, what if a client stumbled upon this page? And I always stand by this. There's nothing I wouldn't post that I wouldn't share with a client. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's nothing on there that to me is so, what's the word, like inappropriate that I wouldn't be able to own it if a client asked me. Well, I think it's also, right, like important for people to understand the flaws within our industry, right? Which is something like you talk about, you know, like some of the fact that you don't really always have an agency support or supervisor support. And I think sometimes clients should see that we struggle in our situations as well. But but yeah, we absolutely loved your book. It was validating, it was refreshing, it was honest. And then like there's this perception that therapists are superhuman, that they don't ever feel insecure or they're somehow immune to life stressors, which right? is a pretty hard and completely unrealistic <laughs> standard to uphold. So yeah, like thank you for all of that authentic and down to earth insight. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> that was my goal in writing it. And honestly, it was the meme community that I want to say sparked my interest in actually writing this book because I'm sure you all can relate to this for such a long time. I kind of had this belief, oh, it's just me. I'm the only one who feels insecure. Like even if they say they're insecure, they're not as insecure as me, you know, that kind of thing. And so in creating the memes and building this community, I started realizing, oh, we all kind of share these universal feelings. We're just not really talking about it, but hey, like other people struggle. And what if we could validate that struggle and become stronger as a community and do what we do best, which is want to help people and support them and, you know, love our jobs and love our roles. But I just, and and we can talk about this further, found that so many different resources and books kind of missed the mark and made it seem like all therapists were these perfect inhumane creatures, if you will. Right. And, you know, I think it comes from kind of an old world way of doing therapy, which is kind of coming from this like one up position. Like I know everything and I'm going to help guide you in some way. And, you know, Emily and I found this in our training is that we really learn to come from, you know, an equal position, a one down position. Um, And so, you know, I think there's this new wave of therapy that's that's coming up and, you know, that all our kind of values very much align with what you're speaking to is that it's important for us to show that we're not superhuman and that we're authentic. Cause I think that that creates a level of connection that is hard to find sometimes it's hard to find in like this old world way of doing therapy. I completely agree. And whether we like it or not, social media is definitely here to stay. I mean, obviously trends will ebb and flow, but what it gives us access to is this immediate ability to connect with people. And so you can make a meme or write a tweet or share a status expressing how you feel. And suddenly you have hundreds, thousands of people being like, oh yes, me too. I understand. I relate. And that's something that you know, as we're talking about those old school therapists, they didn't have that ability. They would write a book every two years or so. (laughs) 
You're not having people being like, yes, queen, I totally understand. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And so, so for the people who haven't read your book, could you give our listeners a little synopsis of the book and what took you from therapist to meme creator to author? Sure. So sometimes therapy is awkward is basically a guide that kind of navigates the nuances of what it really means to be a therapist. And so in this book, I overview the myths that I once held about the profession and why all those myths were terribly wrong. (laughs) Um, I kind of overview what to expect during your first clinical experiences, um, the issues that I see with some of the infrastructure that's common within the mental health uh, scene and just building confidence and kind of working through this common theme that we all have, which is, am I an imposter? Am I terrible at what I do? Like, am I useless? Am I even helping clients? Um, So that book really kind of unpacks that. It's not a theory book. I don't come, I'm not an expert in psychotherapy. Uh, I'm just one therapist. I haven't been in the field for 30 years, you know, I'm, I'm fairly young myself. And so it's kind of me just ranting and writing and expressing <laughs> what I think therapy is and what I think therapists are capable of doing. And, and, you know, I think that like the fact that you're so open about it is probably allowing so many therapists to just feel recognized, you know, because I think it is, it's so common. Imposter syndrome is just comes up so much with, with everyone, but also, you know, especially with therapists, Um, you know, you're learning so many different theories, you're experiencing so much, you know, you go into it to help other people. And the fear is always, you know, am I going to be able to help this person? So Nicole, in the book, you shared this amazing antidote of working in a school setting soon after graduating and being mistaken for a student. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, uh, I, I'm very sure. Sh- <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I say I'm five, two, but let's be real. I'm like five, one and a half, you know, but we got to hold on. You have to round up. <laughs> I'm genuine, I'm kind of small and I, you know, look really young when I don't wear makeup. And so like, I totally understood the teacher. Like I, I understood she was just doing her job. You know, I kind of blended in with the junior high kid. Um, and it was junior I, high. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't even high school guys. <laughs> 12 and 13 year old. Um, and, and I did, you know, in full transparency, I entered this field very young in my very early 20s. And so I wasn't that much older than the kids. But yeah, you know, I, I remember coming home to my, he's my husband now, but we were just dating at the time being like, they think I'm a junior high kid. <laughs> like, <what am> <laughs> and I'm, I'm here trying to assess them for suicide and do family counseling and, you know, have these important meetings with teachers and principals and, uh, you know, they're, they're th- trying to give me detention. So it was. <laughs> Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know you what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. 
so you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable, so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. Well, it brings that to an interesting point, right? Because the other thing in the book, as you talk about, is the four types of insecure therapists. And so Jen and I have talked about this on the show very often. We both started out very young in the field. And I love also what you just said about, like, I'm not an expert in psychotherapy. Like, like I, I am not the top of this field, right? <laughs> like, we're funny and we like a podcast and we're therapists. And I would still not, like, I'm not going to sit here and say we're the best fucking therapists in the world, right? Right. But you talk in a great way about the four types of insecure therapists. So I was wondering if you could touch on this at all. Yeah. So, I mean, in the book, I kind of outline what I've noticed with, uh, with just the different therapists in our field. And these are based off, you know, my one case study, which is myself. (laughs) (laughs) And there is no research backing it, but, uh, just kind of a summary of different categories. And so, you know, you have your insecure therapist, which is, the way I kind of see it is the person who you're just insecure because you exist, right? Is what I wrote. And um, we know this therapist, it might be you. It's the therapist who feels insecure about everything. You know, you're not just insecure about yourself as a therapist, um, but you're insecure because you just feel like you're not good enough at the things that you do. And um that's hard because that definitely transcends into your sessions and you're constantly doubting yourself and you're wondering, you know, can my clients be supported better by someone else? Um, Should I really even be in this field? And so that can be, it can be a really profound um, 
I want to say like domino effect, right? Because then you're almost afraid to take risks. You're afraid, you know, to ask for help, which then perpetuates the same insecurity that you're trying to escape. Like self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. And um, I have a few colleagues that I can definitely reflect on who've struggled with this. And that can be hard, you know, because they kind, you kind of feel like you need a lot of validation. Um, and it almost feels like even if you're getting that validation, it's, it's not enough. Right. And so that's kind of the first therapist. And I noticed that one a lot with, with like very young clinicians. Um, because again, like, you're like, am I real? like, why are they going to see me? Like, what do I have to offer? Um, and so, Sorry, I'm going back into my notes because it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We yeah, really like put that. you on the spot. <laughs> no, like it's so funny because I haven't reread my own book because, like, I feel like authors don't reread their own stuff because you're like, oh my god, I'm just gonna find all the mistakes. So okay, well, we just we've never listened to the podcast, and people people will be like, oh, that thing you said on the podcast about this, this, and this, and we're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. We pretty much blacked out the entire time. We've never listened to it. <laughs> That's such a creative thing. It must be like, I like, you're like, I have to almost have cognitive dissonance from my own work. Also like hearing your own voice is truly painful. Oh my God. Yeah. When people are like, are you going to do your audio book? I'm like, absolutely not. We have no chance. (laughs) All right. So I found what I, what I needed though, because um, a lot of people have asked me about these categories. So I should actually probably have a better preparation. So we have the insecure therapist then we have the perfectionist, which uh, I would say I most commonly relate to um so you're that perfectionist in in all areas of life right like you wanted to get the straight A's in school um so of course you need to be the best therapist and so starting out is extremely humbling for you because no one's fucking perfect when they start and you're like wait a second if I'm not perfect who am I and so um definitely a big struggle because you're trying to a lot of times control outcomes you kind of freak out if things don't go a certain way. Um, you may like rewrite your paperwork incessantly because you want it, pe- you want it to be perfect. Um, so there's just a lot of pressure that you internalize and that you put on yourself. Right. Um, we have the unresolved life shit therapist. I think we all know this person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this person doesn't. This is our favorite one you wrote about. <laughs> Actually, you know talking about it with my editor and she's like I don't know it's a little bold and I'm like no this is staying and this is this is again why I was very adamant after talking with different publishers where I was like you know I have to go the self-publishing route there's stuff I just I need it to stay because my people will get this and so the unresolved life shit therapist usually doesn't know that they're the unresolved life shit therapist (laughs) no that's why it's unresolved (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the ones coming in and they're they're kind of always a hot mess unfortunately they mean well but um usually they just have a lot going on in their personal life and it's really hard to stay objective um they may have a lot of trans excuse me counter transference towards their clients um it can be hard to maintain boundaries um you know they're the type that like comes into the office 20 minutes late and like their car broke and their boyfriend's leaving for the fourth time and like their kids hanging off the roof. And I don't say any of this to be um, malicious. It's, it's simply that they just, it's real. (laughs) We know these people. (laughs) Yeah. They have a lot going on and bless their hearts. You know, they, they probably need some more support and um, it it, it can almost feel like they're just standing on quicksand, Um, which by the way, like was supposed to be bigger, more of a big threat, right? Like, 
weren't you guys afraid of quicksand? Yes. Okay. I when I saw Princess Bride, right, like back in the day, that scared the shit out of me. I've never seen quicksand. Like, like <laughs> it never seen quicksand. Where was that going to come up? But like, really good point. I feel like the '90s, like there was a there lot, was of, lot quicksand. of quicksand. I'm a, I'm a '90s. Yeah. So yes. And the Bermuda Triangle. I saw that. Yes. Movie. Like. And Aladdin? Maybe Aladdin? Seeing quicksand? I think he found us some quicksand. Anyway, but totally thought that was going to be a bigger threat. Really thrilled that it's not. Yeah, but the unresolved life therapists, I mean, they're just, they're struggling. They're, they're on this, on this quicksand and it's just hard for them to catch a break. And then we got the straight up people pleaser, um, which I think actually, even if you're not in this category, I think a lot of therapists relate or cross over to this category, especially oh. women. Um, and, and this is because you have that very nurturing, compassionate um, side to you. And so this sometimes can translate into people pleasing. You want to make your clients happy. You want to make your boss happy. As a result, you may struggle um, to set boundaries, to confront clients when necessary. Conflict may really scare you. Um, and so a lot of these therapists, in my experience, they really struggle with saying like, well, how do I work with this challenging client? Or what if we're not making progress? Or what if, you know, my client doesn't like me? And those are really real fears for this mm -hmm. therapy. Yeah. Um, they can feel very debilitating. So there you have your four types. And then I mentioned in the book, and I totally believe this, I think we can cross over into all the categories. <laughs> and it doesn't mean you're totally fucked. It just means that, you know, um, that's your starting point. Those are going to be uh, potential hotspots for countertransference, and those are probably going to be the barriers that um, could affect some of your work. It doesn't mean you're doomed. I think we all have barriers, um, but if you don't have that insight, you're you're screwed, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's this interesting part because, like, all right, so you know, we were first starting out in the field. Yes, you want to be a good therapist, but now there's like all this additional pressure to have an Instagram following and to have like your own marketing and like all of this other shit with all the Instagram therapy, it leads to being kind of fake and kind right? Like and burnt out. Yes. And burnt out. Like it's just so much shit that seems unrealistic and unfair. And yet it feels like this ongoing exhaustion when so many of us don't have great supervision or a great culture in our workplace that like attributes into what it's like to be a therapist. I agree. And I feel blessed that um, I kind of started in this field before the social media explosion of therapy, yeah. because I think that would have been scary. Yes. Because <laughs> I know a lot of my followers are grad students or they're very new therapists and they're asking me like, how do I build my Instagram following? How do I, and like, I don't know. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have, you know, I had a private practice and I, I built it up kind of differently than what it seems it needs to be now. And that's the thing with therapy trends consistently evolve. And yeah, that is hard because there is a layer of sometimes some inauthenticity that has to come out if you want to build your social media following and that that's it's a hard thing to toggle with well it's so funny because yeah like when we started in the field the majority of referrals were from other health professionals right right they were from either word of mouth or like doctors and stuff and now we know grad students who feel like they need to start social media pages before they even graduate I agree. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, through my practice, most of my referrals were coming from a website and a blog, which is like the old school way. Of yes. 
like I, I did SEO and, you know, I still do that. And I still, that's part of my, uh, other business that I do. I help therapists with S but it's a, it's a slower game and it's not, you know, I wasn't doing dance videos on TikTok, which I've actually never seen on TikTok, but I know. Are you starting that up? No, no, I don't no, think. We, we tried to do one. And it it's so bad. I looked at it recently. Oh, it's so it embarrassing. Really it's not my generation. Like we are millennials. Not, We're I don't not know. Gen Z, man. We'll just watch them, though. They're hilarious. They're we get great. sucked into them. Yes, totally. But, but we couldn't <laughs> I, do it. And also, when we tried to, it was uncomfortable. It was weird. It wasn't for us. But there is this, like, such a pressure. And I think also, it's hard in this field because you're like, all right, a lot of people, their goal is to get into private practice. Yeah. And I understand, right? There's, like, balance and financial stuff. You more control. More control. And we're all fucking control freaks as it is. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And so like, it, it is a lot of pressure though. All of that stuff in that's isolating. It, then you're paying for outside supervision. It's such an interesting thing. But I also love, you did go and talk about burnout in your yeah. book as well. And it was so insightful, you know, to really talk about the difference between this internal and external burnout. Yeah. And, you know, that was a section I rewrote several times. And that was um, a section where I, was definitely talking with a lot of my beta readers and some of my colleagues in the field who knew I was writing the book just to make sure I was kind of hitting the right spots because I think unless you solely work in private practice, which most therapists don't, you need to, you know, usually get internship training hours through various agencies, what have you. And so um, let's be real, the mental health sector needs massive reform. I think we all know that no matter where you And as a result, a lot of these agencies are just completely understaffed, (laughs) underfunded, for lack of better words, incompetent. I mean, you know, it's not the client's fault and it's not usually the therapist's fault, but you're kind of caught in this vicious cycle of wanting to support your clients, but not feeling supported yourself. Right. And, um, over time, absolutely, this can lead to burnout. You know, I've worked in agencies like these and it's, it can be exhausting. I mean, just, and, and I think it makes you want to sometimes quit altogether because you're like, is every place like this? this Right. Well, and I think like the, you know, insurance piece of it too, because there's so much control that insurance has over exactly that it, it, you know, that, you can focus on the client work, right? Like we usually we go into this, I would assume, and I would hope to take care of people, to help them, um, to guide them. And so sometimes I think that these systems that are in place um, can take us away from that, which I think can be really difficult. I could not agree with you more. I mean, this could be a whole separate book of rants, all the things that I wish could change that I think we're all on the same page about. But yeah, insurance constraints, grant constraints, you know, um, even just being sometimes limited because you don't have a license and you're an intern trainee or associate, whatever the current title is in your profession. I mean, um, you're relying on some broken systems, Mm -hmm. your job, and we all have a threshold for how much we can give before we start to feel like we're going to snap. And, external burnout is a really rough one because in my experience like to work through that usually you have to leave the job or something dramatic has to change like organizationally or administratively and that's hard when you need to pay your bills and when you you know the job market might not be so great or you're just starting out and you should you know quote unquote feel lucky that you even have a job and 
you know, therapists can even be toxic to one another and saying like, well, at least you're getting paid, you know, right. as if that's a reason to stay somewhere, which is appalling, you know, for everyone listening, you should absolutely be getting paid for your work. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Hard. Yes. Like kids get paid making lemonade, you know, yes, <laughs> yes. a little girl on my street was just selling lemonade and Girl Scout cookies. Like, you know, she, oh. she yeah, I'm, she's before, right? I'm so excited. It's Girl Scout cookie time, just for the record. <laughs> yes. Thrilled. Yes. What's your flavor of choice? The, I don't know what they're called now. They used to be called Tagalongs. Yeah, dude. I know they all changed names. What, yeah, yeah, I know. It really, butter yeah, the one, yeah, you're I think not. It's just called peanut butter now. Really? I really like the Tagalong. Like, was that something wrong I with think that it's name? Just called peanut butter, though. Oh. I'm, I'm, all, confused. I'm all about the Samoas. Samoas. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> In the off season, it's just called. Caramel Delight. <laughs> In the off season. They just rebranded. The girls are so smart. They were the original. <laughs> they really were. Well, they're the original MLM, though. It's a multi-level marketing scheme. Yes. yes. Just, they're pretty good. They're literally just teaching young girls to join into a Young Living or a Monet like, later. Okay. Also, I don't know if you guys had this experience. Did anyone come to your school and have you sell wrapping paper? Yes. So my parents wouldn't let me do that because they're like, it's annoying, you know, to (laughs) friends. And I'd be like, mom, those kids get to go in a limo. I was like, fine, you just hate me. Like, I'll never be cool. Isn't that gross? Huh? <laughs> that was just the bottom of a pyramid. Yeah, wait, how how odd was that? That that was part of school. I need to know, like, from the listeners, if this is still a thing that happens. I doubt it. I feel like these things probably got shut down and people are gonna be like, what are you guys talking well, about? Well, I feel like now they sell coupon books. Like kids in my neighborhood are always selling coupon books. And like you would win something so stupid. You would win like a huge pack of markers or something horrible. <laughs> but you needed those markers. You needed them. <laughs> in and they're like yeah if you sell 500 magazines like you're gonna take a limo ride to McDonald's <laughs> and you can order whatever you want and like all the cool kids are doing it and if you're not doing it like I don't know what to tell you and so I just remember being all pissed off at my parents like you won't let me sell magazines let me- <laughs> well they really knew what was up though that, that is the type of parent I hope to but it's funny we're sitting here talking about like MLMs or pyramid schemes because therapy is kind of like this oof right you pay all this money to get to the next drop in some truth <laughs> and then you pay a bunch of money to become a supervisor and then you pay a bunch of money right like there is a part for of- like for like other you know certifications well, to be part of amft or like, right. right any of these uh, things. it's a little pyramid scheme right totally <laughs> Did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year? I used to contribute to that waste, constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought. But then I discovered Blue Land, and it has been a game changer. Blue Land has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products I reach for the most. They are reinventing cleaning essentials. Their approach is simple yet revolutionary. Refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter, but also reduces plastic waste significantly. What I love most is the convenience. With Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If 
you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is, of course, the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty-free and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I used this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post-construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that Pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E.com slash shrinkchicks. So gross. Do not it's- slide to my DMs selling me your oils, guys. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> the oils. Don't we don't need it. Oil. We already could. We already bought it from someone else that <laughs> guilted us into it. Okay. <laughs> I'm that person who buys it from anyone. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me support. <laughs> um, I'll be your. I'll be your girl boss, baby. Okay. <laughs> Nicole, you also talk about in the book self-disclosure, um, which I think is really important, you know, for therapists to talk about. Um, can you first define it for our listeners and then tell us how you feel about self-disclosure as a therapist and as a client who's received it? Wow, there's so much to say about self-disclosure. And um, I've gotten a lot of feedback about that section because parts of it inherently are a little vague. I think people were wanting really specific situations about when and when not to use self-disclosure. And what I tell people and what I had to tell myself when I finally was, you know, ready to publish it is that there just isn't a universal answer. So for those of you who aren't sure what self-disclosure is, it's basically when the therapist chooses to share a personal detail about themselves. And this personal detail can be anything from confirming if they're married to maybe disclosing that they struggle with a similar mental health issue as the client does. And so you know, as therapists, we receive extensive training on how to support our clients, build rapport, guide them, you know, as they work through difficult stressors. Um, and there's kind of an old school mentality that we're just this blank slate and, you know, we're not really allowed to have opinions or biases of our own. I think most modern therapists know that's not true. We're not blank slates from the second a client 
I don't even want to say walks in our office because at this point it's the second the client sees our social media or listens right. to our voicemail or even sees the name of our practice, they're forming insights and judgments and biases about us. This is human nature. This is how this is rooted in our evolution, right? We, we naturally categorize. Um, and so clients are very interested in our lives, very, very interested in our lives because um, they have transference towards us and transference kind of refers to the, the feelings and experiences that they essentially transfer onto us, um, usually based on old relationships that were in the past. And so this complicates things, you know, um, in, in very nuanced ways that I could go on a whole rabbit hole with, but I won't for this discussion. <laughs> um, yeah. And so self-disclosure is tricky because, you know, I think in school, a lot of times we learn, Oh, only do it if it helps the client. And you're probably listening. I'm like asking yourself, well, how do I know if it helps the client? And so in the book, I kind of talk about trying to take it a step further and asking yourself, how exactly is this helping the client? Not just, is this helping the client, you know, right. really defining that difference and thinking about what, what is my point here? Why am I self-disclosing? What am I hoping to achieve? Because once you self-disclose, you can't take it back ever, you know, and the, the client can do whatever they want with it. That's their right. And so I've, um, I started out definitely being very cautious. I came from, um, a school that was pretty, uh, conservative, I want to say, with self-disclosure, which I don't fault them for. That was just the professors that I had at the time. They were a little more old school with that. And I think that was good for me starting out because um, I was really able to just try and focus on being with the client and trying to be there for them. But later through my practice, I kind of learned about the importance of being there in the room with them and that sometimes requiring sharing bits and pieces of myself. And so you kind of get a feel for it with different clients. And that's why I'm saying like, there's no universal answer because it really is so case by case, how you choose to self-disclose, when you choose to do it, what you choose to self-disclose. And so, yeah, that's kind of my ramble about that. <laughs> so funny. Oh no, it's okay. So it's so funny because it's also this really interesting thing that I love you talk about like the clients, like they're genuinely interested in us, right? Yeah. So like there's this part, Jen and I have talked about often, is like, we had this moment in grad school where they talk about if somebody asks you your age, just yes. say, well, what does that mean for you? Which yes. is interesting, but also if a therapist ever fucking said that to me, I'd be like, I don't know, man, it's probably your goddamn Right, age. like just like, tell me. <laughs> I, I don't think I would go back. My husband and I talk about this all the time and he and I are always of the belief, um, it sounds like you have something to hide yeah, and that's yeah. it's like this weird bias and expectation too, because some of these very just mundane details to me, my age, if I marry, I mean, that stuff does not really matter to me. If you're truly doing psychoanalysis, perhaps I'm not a psycho and I can never say the word psycho <laughs> psychoanalyst. Thank you. Uh, it's still early here. So I get a little bit. Of it's so early yeah, there. So it's just a really hard word. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, th and that's not the majority of therapists. And yeah, so if a client asks me my age, they're going to find out my age. Um, obviously you create your own hierarchy of things that you're super comfortable with. You know, I'm not going to go into like my mental health history, for example, with the client, although some therapists do, and that's right. amazing, you know, and I, I think 
you really kind of have to feel it out for yourself and, and be willing to maybe take some risks and experiment and kind of see what lands. Um, but for new therapists starting out, you know, what I want to say, just be careful of being super liberal with it because when you make therapy more about yourself, you are completely missing the point. Yes. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, because I know we've talked a lot about social media and Nicole, I know you, you have recently uh, made yourself known on your social media. And, you know, when we first started the podcast, that was something that like we had to discuss that like our clients who are going to listen to this podcast are going to know so much more about us. Than they, yeah. that they would ever know in the room. Right. Never, never, ever fucking talk about this stuff. Ever, ever. <laughs> And so, but it's, it's interesting because then they get the choice. They get to say, do I want to know this about my therapist or do I not want to know this? As opposed to you bringing it into their space. Yeah, no, for sure. And that kind of leads into the whole idea of assume everyone's going to Google you like, and assume they're going to go to page 15, you know, I mean, not in a creepy way, but it's public information. And so you're already in a, some way, if you're, a therapist under 90 years old, you probably have some, something about you online. And so you're already disclosing parts of yourself, you yes. know, naturally. Wait, which is so funny. Okay. Listen, I don't know if I've, if I've told this story before. I'm so excited. I have to tell you about this fucked up thing that happened to me, Nicole, which is when you talk about going to page 15. Okay. So like, Oh, I, I know what story this. Yes. Two years ago on a fucking Reddit thread, <laughs> somebody wrote in, oh, I'm looking for a therapist that has an animal in their office, like in the Philadelphia area. So somebody wrote in my name because my dog comes to work with me. Uh-huh. And someone else replies to this thread has copy and pasted my bio and just destroys me. <laughs> it wow. talks about someone who is not a client, who does not know me, but he had his own shitty experience with couples therapy. You were a good <laughs> and, scapegoat. And this guy that just wants me. I'm sorry. that I mean, that's like, wild. But, and it's there forever on page three of my <laughs> Google results simply because somebody said they want a therapist with their dog, right? <laughs> so like, if that was earlier in my career, that would have crushed me, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. my God. Like, I don't know if I would have ever come back for that. And now I'm just like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Yes. But I think. Yeah. Well, you can't control anyone. And I think it also tells you so many people have had negative experiences with therapy. Yeah. It sure. just is sure. that way. And and we sometimes take on the responsibility for all of that shit we have nothing to do with. Or they just have negative um like preconceptions about therapy. Yes. They've never been to therapy and they are yes. like, right. like what it entails. And I think if you're newer in the field, those things are gonna affect you so much oh more, gosh. right? Like if you're insecure, if you're more insecure about the work you're doing, if you're still learning, those things are gonna have so much more of an effect because you're already questioning yourself. Yeah, I could not agree more. You're just you're vulnerable when you're starting out and you're oh, yeah. you're you're trying to do the best you can, but you kind of have that creeping thought that it's still not enough. And so you know, it's that whole thing. We can listen to 10 compliments, but we focus on that one backhanded compliment, right? Or that, yes. one, you know, I can have all the five-star reviews, but I'm looking at that two-star one. And, of you know, course. they're well, okay. the ones right. <laughs> and it goes into, well, but that's interesting. Let's leeway into this, our favorite quote from your book, which is you said, often when we think about growth, we consider only what we gain. 
you don't think about what you lose, right? So you talk about this in the context of gaining confidence in your therapy skills while simultaneously losing the need to feel so important and influential to your clients. Can you elaborate on this more? Because this was so important for me to read. Sure. And I'm glad that you found it important because I found it important to talk about. I'd never heard someone talk about it this way. And it was actually, it kind of was birthed from a, I remember a dinner conversation my husband and I were having, um, because obviously we would talk a lot about the book and- Within your husband is a therapist, we should say. Which is incredible. Yes. He is a therapist. (laughs) He's a, a, right now he's a clinical director and supervisor. So he's very much in the field. Um, So we, we talk about, you know, life and emotions and trauma all day long it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah so we're talking about growth and and all the positive parts of growth and it's kind of like when we talk about positive change happening we, we talk about all the amazing stuff that's going to happen we don't really acknowledge the stress that usually comes from that too um and so it's similar with growth so for me as I grew as a therapist, I gained more confidence and I gained more self-respect and I gained more um, willingness to set boundaries with clients and with myself. But in doing that, yes, you lose something. So I lost, and I talk about this, the need to feel so important, the need, to be honest, for clients to depend on me. I think there was a part of me when I first started out that really liked um, when clients needed me, when they were desperate for me, you know, that, that made me feel very validated. I thought that that was a sign that I was doing a good job. Um, and so yes, with growth comes some loss and that that's a hard balance at times to sit with because it's kind of a zero sum game for everything you gain. You're also losing something. And ideally the things you're losing, are things that no longer serve you. So that's okay. But that's not to say they're still on a grief process right. and an adjustment process that comes with that. Right. Right. And it's, you know, I think just the sense that to know that we're grieving in different ways at all times, yeah. right? Like there's always something I think we're grieving and that it's a process, you know, that to, I don't know if like get comfortable with is, is the right word, but it's something, it's something to tolerate. Right. Um, because I think that you're right. Like as we grow, growth is difficult because, you know, we always end up losing something. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And that was never something that was taught to me. And so in writing the book, I felt like it was kind of an important breakthrough that I experienced and I was hoping that it would resonate with other people, which at least I got one person, it sounds like, who resonated with that. So that Absolutely. Makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? Okay. Before we end, can you just, just wanted to, you know, backtrack a little bit. What is it like to be married to another therapist? I mean, you know, we sit and analyze each other all day. Constantly. <laughs> Our eye statements perfectly all the time. <laughs> We're just, we're, we, we meditate together. No, honestly, we're just, we're, we're probably like any other couple. Um, the benefit being that we both, you know, value intimacy, emotional uh, intelligence. We, you know, really try to attune to each other's needs. And it's cool because we understand work-related stress. You know, I know for a lot of people, it's hard to sometimes explain how tired you feel at the end of the day. Um, you know, a colleague comes to mind where her husband was like, well, you just listen <laughs> to people. He was like, fuck you, you know? <laughs> and it, I mean, it wasn't his fault. He wasn't trying to be rude. It was just, I, it's hard sometimes to understand 
the magnitude of the work we do totally. in it. And so it's what I know at this point. I met my husband in my second year of school. So we've been together for a very long time throughout my entire career. So he's what I know um, for, for being married as a therapist. And I wouldn't have it any other way. He's, he's my best friend. Oh, and your child is just going to be so emotionally <laughs> aware. Or fucked. Like, or right. Fucked. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, my, my goal is definitely to, to try and pass on the things that I've learned in, in being a good therapist to also being a good mom and try and validate him and um, be there for him and support him unconditionally. Um, but also knowing I'm going to make mistakes and it's so easy to be a perfect parent until you're a parent. Okay, Nicole. So we're going to, we're going to end with your final piece of advice for everyone. If you could give one piece of advice, what would you give our listeners? You know what guys, just enjoy the roller coaster. Um, this field is hard. It takes a lot out of you. Um, and there's times you're going to want to jump off, but remember, and I talk about this at the end of my book, like, remember why you started and remember what you're here for. People need you. People, people value you and it does get easier with time and it does get easier with practice. And if you're struggling, reach out, find supportive people, practice more self-care, set boundaries, you're worth it. Um, or just make a meme, you know? That's <laughs> <laughs> Another coping mechanism. Yeah, you know, that that's kind of how I built a career at this point. So it, it works. <laughs> now, if you are in the field, you have got to read this book. But I would say we get a lot of um, listeners who are thinking about being career changers. I really do think this book could relate to a lot of ones. Absolutely. So sometimes therapy is awkward. Nicole Arts. And here's the coolest part is we have a discount code for our listeners. You write in Shrink Chicks Love. 50% is off, uh, redeemed off at psychotherapymemes.com. We're going to tag that on all of our social media as well. Thank you for giving us that, Nicole. We're so excited. Signed copy. Signed copy. A signed fucking copy, 50% off. Insane. I cannot wait to put it out. Nicole, where can people find you? Uh, thanks, ladies. So uh, my, my biggest place you can find me right now is on Instagram, at psychotherapymemes. Uh, same handle on Twitter and Facebook. You can also email me if you have any questions. Nicole at psychotherapymemes.com. Um, if you send me a message or email, I, I will do my very best to get back. I try and respond to everyone and, um, yeah, keep trucking along everyone. Amazing. <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. Warning though, there will be no surface-level conversations here. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image after trying to check all those be healthy boxes, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. I truly believe how you feel on the inside reflects out into every aspect of your life. So if you're ready to go below skin deep to tap into a whole other level of wellness, 
you're in the right place. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. 